0: Chapter 59 of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter 59 Telling how a coach drew up at the Elms and two fine ladies, dressed for the ball, stepped in. It was now more than a fortnight since Sturk's mishap in the butcher's wood, and he was still alive, but still under the spell of coma. He was sinking, but very slowly, yet it was enough to indicate the finality of that life in death. Dangerfield, once or twice, attacked toole rather tartly about sterk's case can nothing be done to make him speak five minutes consciousness would unravel the mystery then toole would shrug and say who who my dear sir you know nothing why there's life ay the mechanical features of life but the brain's overpowered replied toole with a wise frown well relieve it by jupiter sir you make me laugh cried tool with a grin throwing up his eyebrows i take it you think we doctors can work miracles quite the reverse sir retorted dangerfield with a cold scoff but you say he may possibly live six weeks more and all that time the wick is smouldering though the candle's short Can't you blow it in, and give us even one minute's light? Eh, a smouldering wick and a candle, if you please. But enclosed, in a glass bottle, how the deuce are you to blow it? Pish, said the silver spectacles with an icy flash from his glasses. Why, sir, you'll excuse me, but you don't understand, said Toole, a little loftily. There are two contused wounds along the scalp as long as that pencil, the whole line of each partially depressed, the depression all along being deep enough to lay your finger in. You can ask Irons, who dresses them when I'm out of the way? I'd rather ask you, sir, replied Dangerfield, in turn a little high. Well, you can't apply the trepan. the surface is too extended, and all unsound, and won't bear it. T'would be simply killing him on the spot, don't you see? "'And there's no way else to relieve him.' "'General Chatsworth had not yet returned. "'On his way home he had wandered aside "'and visited the fashionable wells of Buxton, "'intending a three-day sojourn "'to complete his bracing up for the winter. "'But the pool of Siloam did not work pleasantly "'in the case of the robust general.' who was attacked after his second dip with a smart fit of the gout in his left great toe where it went on charmingly without any flickering upward quite stationary and natural for three weeks about the end of which time the period of the annual ball given by the officers of the royal irish artillery arrived it was a great event in the town to poor mrs Stirk, watching by her noble barney it seemed of course a marvellous insensibility and an outrage but the world must follow its instinct and vocation and attend to its business and amuse itself too though noble barneys lie a dyin here and there and becky and gertrude drew up at the elms the rector's house with everything very handsome about them and two laced footmen with flambeaux and went in to see little lily on their way to the ball and to show their dresses which were very fine indeed and to promise to come next day and tell her all the news for lily as i mentioned was an invalid and balls and flick-flacks were not for her little lily smiled her bright girlish smile and threw both her arms round grand and becky's neck you good dear aunt becky twas so kind and like you to come you and gertie and oh gemini what a pair of ladies and she made a little rustic curtsy like nell in the farce and i never saw this before a near peep at gertrude's necklace and aunt becky what beautiful lace and does not she look handsome gertie i never saw her look so handsome she'll be the finest figure there there's no such delicate waist anywhere and she set her two slender forefingers and thumbs together as if spanning it you've no chance beside her gertie she'll set all the young fellows a sighing and simpering you wicked little rogue i'll beat you black and blue for making fun of old aunt becky cried miss rebecca and ran a little race at her about two inches to a step her fan raised in her finger and thumb and a jolly smile twinkling in her face for she knew it was true about her waist and she liked to be quizzed by the daring little girl her diamonds were on too and her last look in her mirror had given her a satisfactory assurance and she always played with little lily when they met every one grew gay and girlish with her so they stayed a full quarter of an hour and the footman coughing laboriously outside the window reminded aunt rebecca at last how time flew and lily was for sitting down and playing a minuet in a country dance and making them rehearse their steps and calling in old sally to witness the spectacle before they went and so she and aunt becky had another little sport of battle they never met and seldom parted without one how was it that when gay little lily provoked these little mimic skirmishes aunt becky would look for a second or two an inexpressibly soft and loving look upon her And become quite girlish and tender. I think there is a way to every heart, and some few have the gift to reach it unconsciously and always. So away rustled the great ladies, leaving Lily excited, and she stood at the window with flushed cheek and her fingers on the sash, looking after them. And she came back with a little smile and tears in her eyes. She sat down with a bright color in her cheeks, and did play a country dance. And then a merry old Irish air, full of frolic and spirit, on the harpsichord, and gentle old Sally's face peeped in with a wistful smile at the unwanted sounds. Come, sober old Sally, my sweetheart, I've taken a whim in my head, and you shall dress me, for to the ball I'll go tut tut miss lily darling said old sally with a smile and a shake of the head what would the doctors say what they please my darling and up stood little lily with her bright colour and lustrous eyes angel bright said the old woman looking in that beloved and lovely young face and quite filling up as the saying is there is not your peer on earth no not one among them all to compare with our miss Lilius, and she paused smiling and then she said but my darling sure you know you weren't outside the door this five weeks and is that not long enough and too long to shut me up you cruel old woman come come sally girl I'm resolved, and to the ball, I'll go. don't be frightened. I'll cover my head and send in for Aunt Becky, and only just peep in, muffled up for ten minutes, and I'll go and come in the chair and What harm can I take by it? Was it spirit did she want to show the folk that she did not shrink from meeting somebody, or that they're really ill? She ventured to peep in, through sheer liking for the scrape of the fiddle and the fun, to show them that at least she was not heart-sick. Or was it the mysterious attraction, the wish to see him once more, just through her hood far away with an unseen side glance, and to build endless speculations, and weave the filmy web of hope for who knows how long out of these airy tints a strange sad smile or deep wild glance just seen and fixed forever in memory she had given him up in words but her heart had not given him up poor little lily she hoped all that was so bad in him would one day mend he was a hero still and oh she hoped would be true to her so lily's love she scarce knew how lived on this hope the wildest of all wild hopes waiting on the reformation of a rake but darling miss lily don't you know the poor master would break his heart if he thought you could do such a wild thing as to go out again the doctor's orders at this time of night and into that hot place, and out again among the cold draughts. Little Lily paused. Tis only a step, Sally. Do you honestly think it would vex him? Vex him, darling? No. But break his heart? Why, he's never done asking about you, and, oh, it's only joking you are, my darling, that's all. No, Sally, dear love, I meant it said little lily sadly but i suppose it was a wild thought and i'm better at home and she played a march that had somehow a dash of the pathetic in it in a sort of reverie and she said sally do you know that and sally's gentle face grew reflective and she said sure miss lily that's the tune isn't it the artillery plays when they march out to the park lily nodded and smiled and the tune moved on conjuring up its pictured reverie those review days were grand things when little lily was a child magnanimous expenditure of hair and gunpowder was there there sat general chatsworth behind his guns which were now blazing away like fun wearing his full uniform Point cravat and ruffles, and that dignified and somewhat stern aspect which he put on with the rest of his review day costume, bestriding his cream coloured charger, Bombardier, and his plume and powdered ailes de pigeon hardly distinguishable from the smoke which enveloped him, as a cloud does a demigod in an allegorical picture. Cord after chord brought up all this moving pageant, unseen by Sally's dim old eyes before the saddened gaze of little Lily, whose life was growing to a retrospect. She stood in the sunny street, again a little child, holding old Sally by the hand on a soft summer day. The sentries presented arms, and the corps marched out resplendent. Old General Chatsworth, as proud as Lucifer, on bombardier, who nods and chomps, prancing and curvetting, to the admiration of the women, but at heart the mildest of quadrupeds, though passing like an impostor as he was for a devil incarnate, the band thundering melodiously that dashing plaintive march, and exhilarating and firing the souls of all chapel is it up went the windows all along the street the rebel rout of boys yelled and huzzaed like mad the maids popped their mop caps out of the attics and giggled and hung out at the risk of their necks the serving men ran out of the hall door steps the village ruse emerged in haste from the public-houses the whole scene round and along from top to bottom was grinning and agape nature seemed to brighten up at sight of them and the sun himself came out all in his best with an unparalleled effulgence yes the town was proud of its core and well it might as gun after gun with its complement of men and its lieutenant fire-workers with a right wheel rolled out of the gate upon the broad street not a soul could look upon the lengthening pageant of blue and scarlet with its symmetrical diagonals of snowy belt and long flapped white cartouche boxes moving together with measured swing its laced cocked hats leggings and courtly white shorts and vests and ruffles and all its buttons and brasses flashing up to the sun Without allowing it was a fine spirited sight, and Lily, beholding the Phantom Regiment with mournful eyes, played their grand, sad march proudly as they passed. They looked so dashing and so grand. They were the tallest, shapeliest fellows. Faith, I can tell you, it was no such trifle pulling along all those six and four pounders, and they needed to be athletic lads and the officers were with hardly an exception martial high-bred gentlemen with aristocratic bearing and some of them without question confoundedly handsome and always there was one light tall shape one dark handsome face with darker stranger eyes and a nameless grace and interest moving with the march of the gay pageant before her mind's eye to this harmonious and regretful music which as she played on and her reverie deepened grew slower and more sad till old sally's voice awoke the dreamer the chords ceased the vision melted and poor little lily smiled sadly and kindly on old sally and took her candle and went up with her to her bed End of chapter 59. Recording by John Brandon.